Our Bible reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, reading verses 29 through chapter 5, verse 4. And uh, that's found on page 1819 in your pew Bibles. Page 1819 in your pew Bibles. And for you visitors, we're in the middle of a series. And that series is uh, on questions asked by the young people of our church. It's called, I Was Just Wondering. The young people in all fall long, we're doing this. We're going through questions that they asked about. And the great thing about this series is that the young people ask a great diversity of questions. Sometimes they ask these great cosmic theological questions like, what is predestination? And sometimes they ask the most down-to-earth questions like, is it okay if I swear? And that's today's question. For that, we listen to what Paul has to say in Ephesians. Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which, is out of, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. So today's topic is, um, is it ever okay for a Christian to swear? And I want to get at that topic by addressing the issue of foul language. That's the that's my, how I'm, the kind of swearing that I'm going to focus on. Because when we talk about swearing, we sometimes mean different things, right? Sometimes we mean, say, taking God's name in vain, right? So using the name of God or the name of Christ as an expletive or an exclamation, like OMG or whatever, okay? And we all know about that, and I think I'm not going to talk about that today. Uh, that's an important thing to talk about, but I think we all agree that that's wrong, and I think we all try to avoid it. Instead, I want to talk about what we might call foul language or coarse language, those kinds of words that people sometimes pepper their conversation with, those four-letter words and their derivatives, okay? And to help get at that, to help uncover that, and to say what Scripture says and to sort of think clearly about this, I'm going to zoom in on one word in particular, one of the four-letter words, um, the one um, that is sometimes called the F-bomb. That is what I'm going to talk about as a way to get at this. Now, I know that some of you are already shocked that I said F-bomb in church. <laughs> and, and, and I know that that's uncomfortable, but the only way to talk about this is to talk about it. The only way to talk about this is to talk about it. And I'm going to talk about it, okay? When I was a kid in Christian elementary school in Kingston, Ontario, I went to a Christian school from K to 8. And uh, it was a nice, small school, 120 kids. 
And so we all kind of knew each other's business, which means we kept track of each other. So while there was some low-level cussing on the playground, because this was Canada after all, <laughs> okay, the really bad words, they didn't show up much. And if someone used that word, um, everyone went, oh, what did you say? Right? It was a big deal, and that person got in big trouble. I then left Kingston Christian School in the ninth grade. I was enrolled at a public school, public high school, 1,500 kids. The young people at this school were less inhibited in their language. That word echoed through the halls of that place, okay? The guys said it, the girls said it. The jocks out in the football field said it, the nerds in the library said it, and honestly, the teachers said it. Sometimes, and especially when they were coaching, it would come out of their mouths. Now, that was a big of a shock to me. That was a shock to my system, but I soon learned, soon learned that it didn't stop in high school. The further I went along in life, depending on where I was, that word surrounded me everywhere. Watch any sporting event these days, and if you are a lip reader, so help you. Right? The coaches say it, the players say it. If you work in a commercial job, like on a, on a, on a job site, if you're in the construction trades and you work on a job site, you hear that word all the time. If you are a golfer, the golf course is a very present word. And it's out there. It's out there all the time. And it's out there so much that some people have said publicly, out in society, what's the big deal? We should just make this word socially acceptable. I mean, it's just a word, right? What harm does it do? It's a little bit of air coming across our vocal cords. Does it really hurt anyone? Do you remember the name George Carlin? He, some of you know where I'm going with this. He used to have a very famous routine called Seven Words You Can't Say on Television. And obviously, I'm not going to go through that routine. But one of the, one of the words was this, this word. And he, as part of this routine, and as he talked about it, this is what he would say. This is his philosophy. He would say, these words, these, these bad words, they have no power. We give them power by refusing to be free and easy with them. We give them power over us, but they and in and of themselves really have no power. It's just, just a word, said George Carlin. It's just a sound. Is that right? I don't think so. I disagree with George Carlin, and really that's what I want to talk about about tonight, why I disagree with George Carlin, and why I think we should care about our language. And I want to do that at several levels, and I want to start at the most obvious. Foul language is bad, and swearing of this kind, coarse language is bad, because the Bible said so, right? You heard it in the Bible passage we read, it said it twice. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful. And then Ephesians 5 verse 4, a little later in the passage, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Those are out of place. There should instead be thanksgiving. And there are other parts in Scripture that, that have the same kind of prohibitions. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 8. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. 
James 3, verse 10. Out of the same mouth comes praising and cursing brothers and sisters. This should not be. So scripture is pretty clear. Swearing, coarse language is not what God wants. And I could just stop there. I could say, no swearing people, no swearing kids. The Bible told us so, and we could all sing a hymn and go home and have a nice short sermon. But I want to go deeper than that, because God's laws are never just random rules, right? God's laws are always tied into the structure of creation as he built it. They are life-giving things. When you follow them, you give life, you flourish. God's laws are also a way of love, right? It can be summed up with love the Lord above all and love your neighbor as yourself. So somehow... When we don't use foul language, when we refrain from foul language, we are causing the world to flourish better and we are loving our neighbor better. How is that? How does avoiding coarse language love our neighbor better? Well, now we're getting to the heart of things. And here's, here's a sort of a principle that I want to state, a biblical principle. We should avoid coarse language and words like the F-bomb because all coarse language degrades life, desacralizes it, and robs it of its meaning. Coarse language degrades life, takes the sacred out of it, and robs it of its meaning. Let me explain that. We all know what this word, the F-bomb, stands for, right? It is a short word that people use to describe sex, okay? Sex, the thing that the most, this beautiful good gift that God has given us, this gift that is saved for the, the marriage between a man and a woman, and, and I don't need to go through a whole theology of sexuality. I think you know that as it is created, sexuality is a good thing. It's not just a good thing, it's a beautiful thing. It produces life, it produces joy. When it's practiced in a marriage, it brings people together, it gives that marriage color and life, and it literally, right, produces life. It's a love-producing, life-producing thing. When you call that beautiful, take that beautiful thing, and you call it by this word, what do you do? You take all the holiness out of it and you reduce it to a crude physical act. That word takes all the holiness and sacredness out of this good thing God creates it and it reduces it to this physical act. And we know that because even secular people, even the most coarse person, would never use that word to describe what happens to a young couple on their honeymoon after they got married. You'd never use it to describe that. You only use it to describe one-night stands and meaningless hookups, right? It's a word custom-designed to take the meaning out of sexuality and make it hard and small and meaningless. And that's the way it's used everywhere, right? Because right, people don't just use this word to talk about sexuality. They use it they use it for everything, right? They use it as an adverb, an adjective, every part of speech you can imagine, they use this word. What are they doing when they use it? Well, when you apply it in that way, whatever, whenever you use it, you're making your speech a little harder, a little edgier, a little meaner, a little more cynical. You're taking the meaning out of the thing. If you use this word as an adjective to define a noun, that noun 
has become a little more common and a little more crude. This word is custom to design to take the sacredness and the holiness out of things. And all coarse language does that. All foul language does that to some extent. Think about how we use coarse language and how militaries and soldiers have used coarse language in the, in the fighting of wars, right? We, when, when, when soldiers are out in battle and they have to fight and kill another enemy, what do they do? They find a coarse name to tall their enemy, right? So the Germans in World War II were not Germans, they were Krauts. And the Japanese were Japs. And in Vietnam, the Vietnamese were Gooks, right? These terrible words. Why do we do that? Because it desacralizes, it dehumanizes, it makes it easier to pull the trigger. And our enemies do the same to us. They have names for us too. They need to do it because they need to take the sacred out of the thing so they can shoot it. What those words do for enemies in war, the F-bomb can do for just about anything. When it is applied to another word, when it is used in a sentence, things become harder and more mean and more cynical. You can see that Paul understands this when in verse 4 of our passage, he gives you an alternative to coarse language. He's just said, don't talk obscenely. And then he says, instead, you should talk this way. What is the word that he used? What does he suggest? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving does the opposite of coarse language. If coarse language takes the sacredness out of a thing, Thanksgiving emphasizes the sacredness and holiness and goodness of a thing, right? Your mother's molasses cookies. Mom, these cookies are so good. Oh, they're just the right level of soft and the balance between the cloves and the nutmeg. Mom, these cookies are so great. What are you doing? You're taking something good and you're, you're praising it. You're lifting it up. You're, you're highlighting the goodness of a thing. Right? It's the opposite. Coarse language reduces it. Thanksgiving lifts it up. Which brings us to the positive side of this sermon. Coarse language can, can be destructive, and we see it being destructive in the world. There are ways to use our language which are so good and so life-giving, and that's what I want to finish with today. I want to say two things. First, and this is directed especially to you kids as you start approaching high school, because I promise you even the Christian high schools have this as an issue. Don't ever underestimate the power of being the kind of person who doesn't use coarse language, who refuses to word, use words like the one we're talking about. That can be a powerful thing. If you're a person who goes to a four-year secular college, if you're a person who plays on your travel sports team and you never use that word, people will notice and they will be drawn to you in a good way. I had a friend who uh, probably 30 years ago went to the University of Michigan and he hung around with friends there, most of them secular, and he did all the high school, college things. He, you know, they would go to concerts, they would go to games. And his friends were um, prodigious swearers, okay? They, they bombed the whole campus with the F-bomb, all right? It just was, came out of their mouths all the time. And he loved his friends and he laughed with them and he did things with them, but he never used that word, just never did. And finally, one day, one of his friends sat him down and said, dude, I noticed you never swear. You never say that. What is, what is up with that? How come you don't? And my friend very humbly said, you know, I'm just 
trying to be more positive with my language. And he confessed, look, as a, as a Christian, this is who I am. And it was a really positive conversation. Because this young man, the other, his friend, the secular guy, sensed that there was a sort of a positivity, a good energy in, in Scott. There's something cynical about people who always use that word, something hopeless, but in Scott, there was something positive and energetic and good and hopeful. As you go out into the world, simply by not swearing, you can make a difference. You can do something positive. Second positive thing. Remember that your words are some of the most powerful things that you have. The things that you say matter so much. Whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me was completely wrong. I have a friend who, um, who never refused to sing all through elementary school and grade school. Why? When he was in first grade, they were singing in a Christian school, singing a song, and one of the people beside him turned to him and said, you're sing funny, you can't, you're not good at singing. There's another kid. So my friend stopped singing. And he didn't sing in first grade, he didn't sing in second grade, didn't sing in third grade. He did not start singing again all the way into his 20s. Now, did my friend overreact? Sure, you can make that argument. But that's what words do to people, right? When we say those kinds of things. And we shouldn't be surprised because how did God create the world? Through speech, through words. Let there be light, and there was light. God's speech creates a world, and so does yours. When we speak as image bearers of God, our words create worlds for people. When that person said to my first grade friend, you're a lousy singer, that person made a world for my friend. And he ended up inhabiting that world for 20 years of his life. If a father in a moment of anger says to a son, you are useless, I'm so sick of your stuff. Those words have created a world that that child must inhabit. Of course, it works the other way too. If you use your words in a positive and uplifting way, you can make a place of refuge for the people you love. Your words can become a, a, a shelter, a foundation. Just think of the creative power, the life-giving power of these sentences. I love talking to you. You're such a good listener. I hope we never stop being friends. I'm proud of you, son. I see how hard you're working. You know what? I notice how hard you work at being kind to people. That's so good. I think you're beautiful. You're really talented. You could be a great scientist. Or think about in a romantic relationship what it means and what happens when one of the people in the relationship says to the other one, I love you. Our words create places for people to live, contexts in which they understand themselves. Let me close tonight reminding you of the words that God has spoken over you, the words that he said to you, words that you live in. 
God says to you, I have called you by name and you are mine, so don't be afraid. God says to you, I love you so much that I sent my son to die for you. Jesus says to you, there is nothing in heaven on earth that can ever take you out of my hand. Jesus says to you, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I don't know about you, but those words are the house that I live in. And every single morning of my life, I go into that house and I take a deep breath and I let those words fill me so that I can go out into the world and be a person who by my words and my works can give testimony to the one who is the word made flesh. Jesus, my Lord, and your Lord too. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gift of your word, whether it's your words of scripture or whether it's you yourself, the word made flesh who gave his life for our salvation. Um, Lord, we pray that as we come into this place, we may take refuge in your good news, that your good news may become our house so that we can go out into the world and be people of, who speak words and do things that give glory to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.